Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As long as you're linked with someone else, because you are, because you have kids, part of your life is kind of always in their hands to a certain degree. And that's a huge challenge. Welcome to Manic Rambling Spiral. I'm John R. Bray. And I'm Heather B. Armstrong. And today we're welcoming our second guest on MRS, Hillary Hyde. And I won't introduce her fully because I'm sure she can do a much better job of relaying her background to all of you. But in a nutshell, she has a lot of professional experience working with uh, children and families who've gone through divorce. And she is also a single mom, so she has a lot to offer and share, and we're really looking forward to getting into that. So, Hillary, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Thanks, John. Um, like, like you said, my name's Hillary Hyde. I'm a professor in the School of Social Work in the Child and Family Studies program at Portland State University, and... Um, So I get to talk continually about families and policies that impact families and what, you know, what the transitions are that we go through. Um, I've taught the mandated divorce uh, class for divorcing and separating families in Multnomah County and Clackamas County, which are two areas in the Portland metro area, for 20 years. And um, I've worked as a custody evaluator I worked in the early intervention program for 12 years in several capacities, and I've worked in the child care system as the liaison between early intervention and child care. So pretty much everything that has to do with families when they're starting out as families or when they're making transitions, I've had I've had a gotten to talk to many, many people doing that. And like you say, John, I'm a I'm a sole parent. I um, became a sole parent when my son was four by virtue of the fact that his father died. So I've been raising him on my own for 12 years now. So I've had a lot of time to live it and think about it. And um, I'm really happy you all are discussing this area. Well, that is a resume that makes me go, why is anyone listening to me or John about anything? (laughs) Whoa. Well, I'm I'm a lot of fun at parties, you know, I'm a lot of fun at parties. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's quite the background. (laughs) It can put off just about anybody. No. Well, one thing, and I, I don't think I addressed this last time we spoke, but you know, Heather and I always refer to ourselves as single parents. And just now, and when I spoke to you before, you referred to yourself as a sole parent. Yes. And I've just never heard that, or I don't think it's as common a term, and I'm wondering you know, why you favor that. Yeah, um, thanks for asking. It's something that's – the, the phrase single parent has bothered me for years, and it and it took me until about a year or so ago to finally figure out why. And the reason why is because – Single parent combines our parenting status with our relationship status, and to me, they're separate. And if you're parenting on your own, you're really a sole parent. And if you're parenting with someone else, no matter how much that other parent is involved, it may be very little, it may be a lot, you're co-parents. And when you call yourself a single parent, I feel like it's 
kind of disrespectful of the fact that there is another person involved there. So I use, you know, most of the time I use sole parent or co-parent. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought of it that way. And I don't think most people have. Have you remarried since um, the death of your uh, son's father? No, I haven't. I can't figure out how to find time to date. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can say that you should stay off of Tinder. That's pretty solid advice at this point. Good to know. Well, today what we were hoping to do is sort of dive into two separate but related topics. Uh, you know, when you reached out to us early on, uh, after we had started MRS, uh, the first thing that came to mind was that we wanted to talk to you about how to talk to our kids about the divorce, you know, and how should people approach that when it's happening and after the fact. Um, and then when we spoke briefly um, before this recording, you mentioned the idea of, you know, the daily processing of parenting information uh, that you sort of share with the co-parent, you know, when you're living together in the same house and doing this together, sort of that unload of information at the end of the day and how important that is uh, just with your own processing of what's going on. And I think those are key. And as I was kind of hashing over those two ideas and talking over them with Heather, we came to the conclusion that there is some overlap in the sense that when you do that daily download with a co-parent, it kind of helps you level everything out and put everything in check, or it should, I guess, ideally, um, which I think when you're approaching a difficult topic with kids can help. But when you're trying to approach a difficult topic without that daily unload, because that co-parent is no longer in the picture, it kind of adds additional complications to that. Do you see sort of what we're getting at there? Absolutely, and I couldn't agree more. I think you're right on. Well, that's awesome. And, I, you know, when we spoke before, you mentioned this daily processing of parenting. And I guess it was something that subconsciously I knew I was missing. You know, and, and Heather and I have talked about it several times. But I don't think it's anything we've ever really been able to put into words in the same way. Do you know what I mean, Heather? Yeah. It, I mean, we talk about the loneliness um, aspect of things and feeling isolated, but putting it in terms of the daily download, I like the, I like that phrasing. I like picturing it that way and the absence of, of that and what it has meant for our, our coping with, with this. Yeah. Our, our personal coping. Yes. Uh, it's taken me a really long time to figure this out. And, um, you know, Manic Rambling Spiral has been very helpful because the discussions you've had have helped me really think through some of my experience. And in fact, Heather, I I started reading Deuce not long after my partner died back in 2004. And oh, wow. I know. I was at home with a three-year-old son. There was no way I could go out at night or do anything, you know, away from home. And I, <laughs> I stumbled on Deuce, actually, because I was looking up something like a kitchen remodel. And I think you guys had remodeled your house. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, what's this? And I have to tell you, you know, for me, being at home at that point in time, and you remember how different things were 12 years ago, mm -hmm. it was like a lifeline for someone who was talking about what we're starting to talk about now, all the daily stuff of life in a family. And I was so relieved to find someone doing that. Um, and, and 
had never experienced that before. So, you know, I became hooked on the web on Deuce and a variety of uh, of writers at the time that really were very helpful for me in feeling not so alone. Um, and just listening to your podcasts lately have helped me realize that, that that's a big piece of it. You know, unless we have someone we're really close with in our family or a friend to do that with, that really can sort of compile. And then I think you're absolutely right. I think we end up speaking to our children about things that maybe we wouldn't be because because we have to talk to them and we don't have someone to run it by. So um, I think that's a I think that happens a lot. Yeah, I, I first of all, wow, thank you for for, for being uh, that was a, a pivotal year for me. That was the, the year that Lita was born. And you're right. Um, a lot of us online at the time, when we discuss this now, we, we reminisce about that time online where women were coming together because none of my friends had kids and I found all these women online who were sharing the same experiences that I was sharing. And it was a community of, okay, I want to go read about her, the, the, the trouble that she had with her son and how she was able to make it work and how to find the humor in it. And it was, um, it was very, very valuable and w- which is what we've hoped that we have been able to do with this podcast here as we've, he and I have found ourselves like like you, you know, suddenly in a situation that we never imagined we'd be in. And I don't have anybody in my personal life who understands the the struggle that it is and the complexities. And, um, you know, sometimes the, the days that you want to bang your head on the wall. And um, yeah, so this is we hope that we're we're providing a little bit of a service just in, so that people can hear their voices or a little bit in, in the stories that we tell. Uh, yeah, I think it's a helpful thing. And, and I think, too, you know, we don't have, like you said, Heather, there's not really anyone in your life or in my life who who is in the same boat. Mm-hmm. But I also think that without that co-parent there, even if I knew that someone was in the same boat, I wouldn't really want to unload that on them because they already have their own load. Like, so I, now I feel like when it's just me, I don't want to burden anyone with what I would normally unload at the end of the day because everyone has their own life and their own family. So even if they get it, it just feels like I'm dumping on someone else. Well, and that's what I have found a little bit um, is that when, you know, since a lot of, and this is what I was trying to express and still feel like I'm a bit sloppy at it, but when you process the daily happenings of life sort of behind the door of your own home with another adult, um, it's just sort of the daily patter that happens and you, you sort of weave in all the things that are happening. But when you step outside your house and talk to somebody about it, it sounds whiny. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to put it. And, <laughs> and people shut you down and yet you still need to talk about it. And, and so I, I know I have found myself saying, you know, I'm sorry I'm going on about this, but I really need to talk to somebody about it. And um, so that's what started me thinking about this differential of sort of this intimate daily in-home discussion, which everyone is experiencing. And then how do we move that out in the community or how do we have a language to talk about it or how do we find other, you know, sole parents or co-parents who are dealing with this same thing so that we're not caring at all, right? And, and I feel like we need some good language around it and it's not there yet. 
And so what, what do you recommend? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think just being able to say, because um, I know I've had people say, oh, you know, it'll be fine, you're great, whatever. And what I want to say is, no, really, I need you to listen to me for a little while. I need to talk to you about this. And so I started doing this. And what I found was people were surprised that it wasn't that life wasn't easy for me. They didn't know because, honestly, how could they? Um, but that when I started trying to frame and say, I need to talk about these things, can you listen, that then they would. And, you know, they wouldn't always have something to add, but they began to see, oh, it's kind of hard doing this on your own, isn't it? Which at first floored me, but then I realized, you know, how, how could anyone else know? Um, and, and, and people are happy to talk to me if I let them know. But I also feel like, kind of like you, John, like I don't want to do that with just one person. I can do that with several. Um, so I don't have to sort of overdo the, the processing with one person. <laughs> so do you kind of spread you know, X number of days out over a certain number of people that you've developed that with? Um, or do you just trade it off from day to day? I, I think I trade it off from day to day. And honestly, this is pretty recent that I've even figured this out myself. And so it's not something I've necessarily been practicing. I mean, um, like you, Heather, my mom lives nearby. And without her, I feel like I'd be sunk. I mean, she really has been that person in that role for me. Um but even in that relationship, it's the difference between being in the household with somebody else and, you know, when we get together our, our, is all we're going to do talk about, you know, my son or your grandson. So I don't know how to get that balance, but I really hope that we can have some conversations and hear from other people and hear what they think. Um, I think there's got to be some mechanism for creating that. You know, I think online might be a great place to do that, but I'm not quite sure how. Again, I think somehow if we can develop language around what what this intimate discussion is, then that's the first piece. Yes, I think you, as you were talking about that, and, and when I find myself speaking with, with friends about it, the, the first thing that comes to mind is like, I really don't want people to feel sorry for me. That's not at all right. my goal in talking about, you know, the difficulty or the frustration. It's just, it's just being able to give a voice, to, like articulating it helps me work through it. And I've I've talked to a few people sometimes and they when they offer a way to fix something is when I bristle because like I don't need oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the classic, you know, don't fix it. I just I all I need to do is say, is say words, which will it helps me like exponentially just to get the words out of my mouth and to have someone look at me and know that they're listening to those words, not not to um play the victim and I don't need you to feel sorry for me. I just need someone to listen. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's almost the first hurdle to cross because, you know, Hillary, like you mentioned, sometimes people think you're just whining. And Heather and I have probably heard that a time or two. And I think for people to, the, the most important part is for people to realize that we aren't complaining in the sense that we don't like parenting or or anything it's just for me at least it helps me like you said Heather it helps me just say it because as I say it I hear it and I'm able to process it over even five minutes and kind of recap my day but when it's all stuck in my head it just ends up scattered that's right 
but mm-hmm. I don't want it fixed though. That there's because there's not a solution really. You know, there's not necessarily one easy fix to any of this. You know, and sometimes I have this. I think m- many of us have this relationship with a parent or with moms. Um, I still have it. Like my kids have it with me where they will hold it together so well at school. And then when they get home and they see me, they completely fall apart because <laughs> they, they feel safe enough. Yeah. And like I had a, a two day meeting. My kids are gone. My kids are in, in New York with their father. And I recently started some new contract work and it's really intense. And I had a two day meeting that was like 11 hours each day. And by the end of that second day, my mind was just melting with all this information that I needed to to keep straight. And I'm also, you know, still really tender about my kids being gone. And I got a text from my mom and she's like, how are you holding up? <laughs> and I completely fell apart and just the text message is probably like 17 pages long. And the next day when I read it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, Mom. (laughs) But I felt better. I felt so much better having just gotten it off my chest. But I'll go back and I'll read it and I'll think, I really just needed to say all of that. That's all I I needed. (laughs) And then thank God I have my mom. Thank God I have my mom who, in response to that 17-page text, was like, I know this is so hard for you. I can't imagine how hard this is. And hopefully, you know, we can talk on the phone over the weekend. And, if, you know, she offered me all the help in the world. Just, and and the, the biggest component of that was, I hear you. Which is all you're really looking for in the long run. Like just mm-hmm. to say it and to have someone listen to it. Well, and, and not to go, um, I don't want to read that 17-page text, Heather. Shut up. Exactly. <laughs> I, I have found one friend who processes well I have several friends that process verbally too and so they get it and I can call them up and say can you just listen you know or or you know I got to run this by you and and so they and then they wait for me to say what do you think um or they just listen and you know maybe part of it is is that we need to find as many people as we can that way and then check in with them like how often can I call you or I'm really needy right now. Can I call you a bunch and then it'll back off for a while, but, you know, helping them understand what our needs are and, and, and respecting their needs too. Cause you know, I, I bristle, I mean, I'm a social worker, but I, I bristle at the thought of having to pay a therapist every time I want to talk about what's going on in my life. Cause it's not, it's not, it's not something that I need a therapist for. It's someone I need a friend or a, or a, someone close to me for, you know, it's a different thing. Yes. And I have actually very, not even very recently, but there is a friend of mine who has been through periods of her life where she was the single mom. And um, I don't know if you know what Voxer is. Voxer is kind of like a a walkie-talkie application on your phone where you can leave messages for someone and they can listen to the message whenever they want. And it's kind of an ongoing conversation. What we'll do with each other is we we will, if if we're experiencing frustration in any capacity, we'll leave each other a, a quick, I say quick in quotes because sometimes our boxers can, can be like eight to 10 minutes long. And then when we have the time, but just even just like knowing that she's going to listen to it. And then when we have the time to respond, giving each other the space to get for the time to respond, we'll, you know, give our feedback. Um I found that to be really helpful, and I really appreciate her friendship in that respect. So maybe that's what we need is to have, like, three or five people we can do that with so we don't have to 
overtax any one of them. And, and, and we all get to know each other. I mean, it's a different form of community, but they're, you know, I think the, the whole thing about when we have another adult in the household, it's that ongoing knowledge base that we have of each other that's built up to where not everything needs to be explained all the time. And you can just sort of what you're saying, pick up and go from there. Right. Well, I think that the Voxer idea is awesome. I mean, I'm familiar with it. I've never used it, but I think, you know, Heather, you and I have talked a lot about how we prefer texts rather than phone calls because then we have time to look at them when we actually have time to read them and respond. And I can't believe I haven't told you about this. You and I need to start boxing is what we need to do. Seriously, because I think you're right. Then you're at least able to say it out loud and know that someone is going to listen to it, whether they listen to it that day or the next day or two days from now. But you know that they'll listen and you know that they're going to respond. And it's delayed. I mean, I guess it's not as as ideal as someone sitting in the house with you, but it still kind of cuts down that, that border of texting and just having to type and lets the conversation be there in a more convenient way. Because I mean, I know personally, if someone reaches out to me via text or phone call or something and is struggling, I could be juggling 18 things at once and I'm going to listen, but I know the whole time that I'm not listening as well as I could be or should be. Mm -hmm. But I also know that I don't want to, Tell them I can't because I'm too busy. But something like Voxer would let you do that and and not be too busy because you'd be able to approach it when you're not. And also two things. One, you don't have to (laughs) – I have really serious, serious pain in my hands from texting. So I don't have to have the pain in my hands from texting. And when you Vox, you can pace while you talk, (laughs) which I find very, very cathartic. Yes. So – there's those two positives. That's true. Yes. I pace anytime I'm on a conference call. So that would be great. Yes. I think pacing must be part of it because I love it too. <laughs> it probably just helps us process as we're talking. Right. It's very, very angry pacing. <laughs> oh, angry I pacing. Do. Okay. Well, that's at a totally different level then. <laughs> but I, I guess I wonder, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think as we're going through the day to day alone, and, and all the, the parenting challenges and the challenges of our careers and everything else, you know, we've, we've talked about loneliness, we've talked about resentment and anger, you know, without having that, that person to, to download this information to, I feel like you sort of lose perspective on what information you can or should share with your kids. I mean, me personally, I always have to constantly put myself in check. Not not that I'm worried about saying just terrible things, but things that at 12 you don't need to hear, right? Because it's not important for a 12-year-old. Right. Uh, and, and I have to say that's one of the things I see happen the most uh, with families is that um, when there's transitions in a family, uh, kids get um, inadvertently put in that position uh, that's a bit more like a peer, which is exactly what you're saying, where we don't want them. And so for me, there's a couple of tricks or tools to sort of ask yourself if you're checking in. And one is, you know, if, if you like, if let's say it's, for instance, the father, right, let's say his name is Tom. If Tom wasn't, um, if, if you substitute someone else in other than father or, you know, ex-spouse, would you be doing the same thing? So if it was your, 
your mother or your sister or a friend down the block? Would you be saying the same things or would you be allowing the same things? And often that helps take away the charge of it being a specific person. And the other is, you know, if you were living together in the same house, would you be saying those things to your kids? Like, you know, oh, your mother... I can't believe your mother is doing this. Would you be saying that to them? And if you wouldn't be in either of those situations, then it's something where you really need to go vox or somebody. Yes. So explain that first part again. So you have to ask yourself if this were if this were a well, neighbor, would you be it, saying it? I guess it? maybe it's more around someone's behavior. So like if um if my child wanted to, well, let's say their father wanted to come and take my child to go do something. And my gut reaction is no, it's, you know, this is not during your time or whatever. And if I substituted, you know, that particular person with a grandmother, friend, something like that, would I let the child go do it? Then I need to relook at how I'm thinking about it. But it goes with what we say too. Like, would I be saying this about um, someone's mother if, if, if if mother was substituted with um, an aunt or an uncle. Would I be saying this about this child's aunt or an uncle instead of their parent, right? I say yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that that gets, um, and I'll be totally honest, like when you, you do that, I think what it is, like that's a very, very good way to check yourself because um, these relationships, especially divorces that are that are intense and difficult, these relationships are rife with resentment and anger and frustration and um, resentment. I think I use that word again. Um, and it, <laughs> and it's it's a matter of like overcoming all of that baggage. And I think that question is a really good way to check it all and go, wait, you know, check that baggage, check it. And um um, that's a that's a really good piece of advice. The first two to three years, which unfortunately you both are in, is the hardest post-divorce. And it's really where I think you need to do a lot of work around that resentment. I mean, I think you're spot on, Heather, that, you know, it's really, I think it's the adult work you need to do around that that can make your parenting with your kids easier. And it's not easy. It takes real work. I mean, to me, it's it's when you're most emotionally vulnerable that you need to like really step it up in maturity and we need help for that like no one knows how to do this we all need help with that and it's really um shifting perspective you know i mean i have the in some ways fortune of spent 20 years listening to families doing this and seeing where they are and in that first couple of years you're so in it that it's hard to get perspective and so you know the other sort of tool I always use is say you know the legal process and the day-to-day parenting requires us it's like using a macro lens on a camera right you got to look at every single petal and every single leaf and every single decision feels so big but when you switch out to a wide angle lens, it, it helps a lot. So, you know, my, my question, another question would be, how is this going to impact 10 or 20 years down the road, this particular decision? So my focus is on, you know, the question I'm always asking myself for the, for the sort sort of immediate future is how do I help my children's lives be whole as they move from home to home? And that's where I want to put my focus. But long term, that wide angle lens is, are we both going to be able to be there when our kids get married? 
are we both going to be able to be there when our grandkids are born? And so it's those day-to-day decisions where we're practicing generosity, where we really feel resentment that are the things that create that better picture for the wide-angle lens. But it takes a lot of support those first few years to get there. You know, it takes a lot of, lot of work. It does. And I, th- I think I see a lot of people... And my, I try not to read comments, but I, but I do. Um, when, when I do express a, a frustration or sadness, like my kids being gone, um, like it's a really, this is the longest I will have ever been away from them and, and them away from me. And I, I want them to have the best time possible. I encourage them to, to go. I want them to, um, I don't want them to be missing me or or any of that. My and I expressed online my my own personal despair and people were coming at me with, "Well, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this." And it's like, "Hey, hey, hey, stop, stop, stop." There is this I'm I'm I am doing my best to do it all right, but I do think that there needs to be at least an acknowledgement of I am human and I'm going to make mistakes and hopefully I can do my best to do better the next yeah. time if I have made a mistake and that we're, we're all working our way through this. And I don't like most of the people that I know who are going through divorces, you know, we're doing our best to keep it as civil as possible and to make the best progress for our kids. Absolutely. But there are moments when we slip up. Well, forgiveness of ourselves is important because we can beat our, we can just like completely, I mean, guilt, of course, is, is, is a huge part of it. And instead of beating ourselves up for it, it's like, okay, I'm going to do better next time in, in this area. Right. And I think part of what helps get us there literally is, is time and practice at it. I mean, it, it's so intense those first couple of years. And like you say, you know, you're missing your kids and you want them to have a great time. So I think again, for me, even the language of both and, because it doesn't have to be exclusionary one or the other, you both exist. So yes, you want your kids to have a good time. And yes, it's difficult for you. They can both be there, right? We can say these both exist. And and not people don't need to come down on us for one or the other. And And what happens after the first time your kids are away from you for a long period of time is you find out, you find your way back. We're okay. And then the next time it becomes easier. But the first time through with anything is is difficult. You know, it's difficult. And the other thing is, I mean, for parenting in general, and I think when you're parenting from multiple homes, it just adds another level of fear to that. But we can't predict what life is going to look like down the road. Um, You know, my dad, my folks divorced when I was nine, and my dad moved 500 miles away from where we were living. And so I didn't get to see him as much as I would like, but spent extended periods of time with him, you know, during the summers. And I'm just ahead of (laughs) ahead of you guys enough generationally that, you know, we had no technology. So um, but we had a set time that we spoke on the phone every week. So every Sunday, no matter which parent we were with, we always had a more extensive conversation. And we could call the other parent at any time. But some of the habits you set up when you're away from each other carry through your life. So what happened was, you know, when we grew up and left home, because we had this habit of being in touch this way, that we'd start to feel weird if too much time went by more than a couple of weeks without touching base. So it actually added to 
strengthen our relationships over the course of our life. But you can't know that at the beginning, right? And and in my in my case, I ended up working with my father for seven years as an adult. And that was fantastic, you know, just the time together and really as adults getting to spend that time together. But again, you can't predict that when your kids are young. And so, you know, from my vantage point of what I've lived, and, and, I, and I think probably for you too, to some degree, Heather, with, you know, the relationship you have with certainly your mother, um, I, I tend to look long term, but I'm also at that point in my life where I am looking long term. And so I can relax a little bit, but it's frightening when it's starting out and when you're in, in the beginning of it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, and you you said that you know there's no possible way to um, predict, predict what's going to happen. I think both John, both John's situation and my own really illustrate that. Where you suddenly find yourself in a like, oh wait a minute, my life just shifted, uh, uh, you know, 180 degrees. Um, but yeah, the I, I really like the idea of setting those rituals here in their in their younger years, which will influence the rituals. Um, as they get older, people keep saying to me, well, you know, this, this five weeks that they are away from you is preparation for when they're in college. And, uh, my mother and I, (laughs) she, this is, I was in college before cell phones and you had to collect call, you know, long distance. So my mom, because I was calling so much, had to set up a phone plan, like a, a card that she sent me in the mail. And it was like a specific amount of minutes that she had prepaid. And even though I was across the country in college, like I talked to my mom probably three times a day for at least my freshman and sophomore year because we had we were so close in my childhood. And those that's what I'm trying to cultivate with my kids is a, a feeling of safety and being able to share with me, you know, keeping my kids talking is very important. Right. And I try to foster that in every way possible. And the same here. But I. Just to jump back, you know, I remember when you when you posted that, Heather, and a lot of the comments were, well, the vast majority of them were not great. But I think there seems to be this misunderstanding, um, and, and I don't think it's exclusive to, to just, you know, single parenting or sole parenting, but that if there's, if something is happening and and you feel sadness about it, that you did it wrong in some way. Because there's there's sad feelings or negative feelings in some area that you screwed up, but like you mentioned, Hillary, it's the and component of it. 
You want them to go away and have fun, and you also miss them. But that doesn't mean that you should have done something different. Right. That's just the reality of how you're processing things. I mean, you can. there can be incredible amounts of sadness, and there's really no way around it. There's no better way to approach it. There's nothing you could have done differently. That's just how it is, because sometimes life is sad. And people forget that, I think. That's right. And parenting is so particularly charged, you know, I think <laughs> maybe for your own, uh, um, for the sake of your trolls, Heather, using and language might be good. <laughs> uh, you know, the trolls, the trolls got played earlier this week. I'll just say that I, I played them like a violin. Um, I do that sometimes when I, I don't know. That's it's so immature of me, but I was like, I'm going to add this language and I'm going to see if they're, oh, they did. They, they totally did it. Um, I, but it, d- divorce is supercharged for those f- people who have lived through it in some way. And I remember talking about this when I was, when I initially, when we initially separated and I realized that every single person coming at me had had an, either their parents divorced or they had divorced and they had their own, their own issues around it that they were, that they were screaming and throwing at me. Right. And it had nothing to do with how I was doing it. it, had nothing to do with my situation, it had everything to do with what they were bringing from their own experience. And so I, I've learned to separate that out from the feedback. It's like, okay, this person had a really traumatic childhood with their parents' divorce, and this is why they're saying this to me. It has nothing to do with the way that I'm handling it. Right. You know, I can... I, I sometimes I, I jokingly refer to myself as a divorce geek because I've read all the literature about divorce and blended families for about 20 years. And I mean, what I can tell you is the factors that go into how families um, adjust to, you know, divorce and separation, the the range of, of outcomes, if you will, is immense. Um, but for most families, mm-hmm. it takes about two to three years to begin to settle out. And then once you begin to settle out and sort of see your path through, then things can begin to calm down. And if we do all the regular things that we need to do as parents, you know, largely loving our kids, focusing on them, um, making sure that they know they're going to be taken care of, chances are they do pretty well. The other part that I didn't just say is when finances aren't pulled out. But, you know, if if kids are being taken care of emotionally, financially, you know, education, they have their friends, not, you know, their whole world isn't caving in, then they'll find their feet under each other uh, or uh, under themselves and know how to how to move forward, you know. But it's about a two to three year process before they can begin to feel a little more secure with it. And and I think, you know, I mean, I think back to early childhood when a kid is you know, two to three years old. And when they leave their parents, it's alarming because they don't have time and space down. And I always go, okay, like, what if I went to work and didn't know because I don't have time and space and causality down, didn't know that my house was going to be there at the end of the day when I came home? Would that be alarming? And I think, heck, yeah, I would like, I really feel for young kids. And even when they get older, and they have time and space down, it takes practice at coming and going to find out the world is still going to be there in a way that I was hoping it would be when I return. And so when we do that for them, they can begin to trust it. And that's pretty awesome. But it'll take, you know, some practice doing that. Yes. 
when I'm, when we separated, Marlo was um, two, and to keep things um, to keep things as safe and as solid for her as possible, he still came over to the house every day and was there from uh, the moment I ended work until we, right. we put them to bed together every night and con- continued doing that until he found um, a permanent place to live. And so, and we made sure that we saw the kids saw both of us as much as they possibly could. Right. And so then when things change and you have to start saying things are going to change here and we're still going to be here, except it's going to look different. And then we have to get to the place we're comfortable with Mm -hmm. it. And they have to get to the place where they're comfortable with it. It all can happen and it will probably take some time. But, you know, this all the things I've heard you talking about um, today and at other times, you know, even when when you've had to travel and uh, John has come and stayed at your house, that's the sort of stuff that really that focus on the kids that I was saying, how do I help my children's life be whole as it moves from home to home? That's how you do that sort of thing. And so, um, yeah. so then we get to go process the other pieces with somebody else. But uh, but that's that's good parenting right there. You know, that's good parenting. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty impressive. Yeah. Do you get to hear that very often, right? <laughs> thank you. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <well>, Not <laughs> often enough. We'll just, right. Yeah, you definitely hear the opposite much more frequently. Right. How I guess you know you said you you say two to three years for a lot of this stuff, um, and I, I mean I'm only, I don't know a year and a half into it or so. Uh, and and I believe it because I think just in the last 18 months, things have gotten substantially better than I ever would have imagined they could have been when all of this started. But for kids, you know, obviously they won't just in two to three years, they won't just settle out and be fine. I mean, maybe when they're when they're very young. But for me, Lexton was 12. So or 11. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. But what do you. You know, I'm still wondering, what do I share? What can I share? What should I share about everything that has happened as as things come up? Because, you know, even now, a year and a half later, questions occasionally pop up. You know, and how do you how do you address that? while making sure that you're not sharing too much or sharing it in a in maybe a negative light, even if you're not trying to to send it in a negative light. That's just how it's how it is in you. Yeah. And, you know, and I think um, (laughs) one of the things I've learned to say when I don't know how to answer something is, you know, that's a really good question. And I'm not quite sure how to handle it or how to answer that for you well. So let me think about it for a day or two and get back to you. And that gives me a chance to go away and go, holy cow, what do I do here? And then talk to some people and then come back and, and answer them because they find out one, they're heard, two, you're going to get back to them. So you become more trustworthy. Three, you have time to craft an answer that you think is a reasonable answer. And and those are really great. You know, that's a really great response in my in my eyes. The other thing is, is I think we need to remember, and I think, again, that first couple of years, we feel like 
when they ask us a question, it's the only time we can answer it. And I will tell you that you guys will be talking about the changes in your family for the rest of your life, not ad nauseum, but as things change, questions will come up and, and we will see things differently. And so I think taking that pressure off ourselves to feel like we've got to have all the answers right now. I mean, I also think, especially when you have a, you know, a young teen or or so it's fine to say, you know, I'm not comfortable talking with you about that right now, but I will talk to you about that in a few years when I think it's more appropriate. I think that's a fine answer. Um, and I think you can always listen for the emotion that's underlying the question, because sometimes they ask inappropriate things. And quite frankly, we shouldn't be answering them. Um, but then I think there's some things too, like particularly in, in your situation, John, where maybe w what you've been saying about, you know, you might want to be checking with your mom on that might be appropriate. So, um, you know, it's the one thing where you don't want to just put the kid in the middle by saying, go ask your other parent. But there are times when that's really appropriate. So um, that's a, one of those ones where you go, hmm, let me think about that and I'll get back to you. My hands are in the air doing the, the Rocky impersonation <laughs> right now because... There have been many moments where Lita has asked me a question and I'll say, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know exactly know how to answer that question right now. And, and I'm like, am I copping out? Am I copping out here? Like, I, but I really, really need to go process how to, to answer this question. And, but there's this like, this nagging feeling like, but she needs the answer now and I should know the answer. I should know how to answer this. And I just need, like, I'm still processing like the question that she asked. And so giving myself a few days to go back to her and, and give her the, the taking all of the emotion out of taking the baggage out of what could potentially, you know, enter an answer and taking all of that out and, and presenting her with a solution or an answer that um, is appropriate right. for her to and, hear. Yeah. Well, think about it. If you were in her spot and you asked a parent a question that you know is a little bit dicey but you're really curious and they said let me think about it and get back to you and they came back with an answer that was a thoughtful answer wouldn't that feel really good oh yeah, yeah. so well yeah. I, but i think that goes back to how important these you know friends outside of the home are when you're doing this alone because sometimes you need you know like you said heather some of these questions they pop up and as soon as they they ask them you realize wow, I'm kind of asking the same question and I haven't really come to an answer yet. But I feel like if I don't have someone to kind of shoot ideas at, I don't know if I'm going to get to the answer either on my own. Right. And that's where I get mm -hmm. stuck because then you can easily fall into this trap of then the person that you're springboarding these ideas off of is your kid who just asked right. the question. And they don't need to be part of that discussion figuring that out, but they're there. So it's easy to find yourself in that position, I think. Well, and I think we kind of figure out where that line is by making some mistakes and then going, ooh, that was not good. I'm not going to do that again. And so, you know, like you were saying, Heather, sort of forgiving yourself for that and then realizing, okay, now I know what that line feels like. And the other part is, and this is a big part of parenting we don't talk about all that much either, is when we've made a mistake saying, you know, I'm sorry, I feel like I, I overstated or said some things I shouldn't have and it doesn't feel good to me and I'm not going to do that again. So please accept my apologies. You know, that teaches our kids how to do it. So it's okay. Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> this is going to be like the fourth episode in a row where Heather breaks down into tears. <laughs> it's thematic. It's okay. 
Well, it's you say like the first, you know, two to one to three years or however long until it starts to normalize. And my situation sort of goes, it's cyclical where everything is fine and then some other bomb goes off and it's and it it feels like okay we're starting all over again and it's like this cyclical thing where it's like I think I'm I'm I think I'm okay and then all of a sudden somebody completely pulls the rug out from underneath me and it's like okay I have to start all over again and I'm now in my fourth year of doing this and it's like is there ever going to be a point where I have completely solid ground and I know that the building isn't going to collapse around me I think that's for me I mean, not every divorce is alike, but, um, but I mean, I have some friends on Facebook who share, they're in their 12th year of their divorce and they're still going through this. And I'm like, I don't want to be doing this 12 years from now. Like I want it to, yeah. I I think a lot of that though, I think that two to three years is, is probably common, but I feel like depending on the situation, you know, it takes two to tango. And if someone wants it to take 20 years, it's going to take 20. Like I, I think yeah. as long as you're linked with someone else, because you are, because you have kids, there's part of your life is kind of always in their hands to a certain degree. And that's a huge challenge. It It's true. I mean, this is, this is one of those places where, again, the only thing I know how to do is step back into a larger perspective. You know, <laughs> I'm surprised that everyone who divorces doesn't become a Buddhist to practice non-attachment because honestly, it's going to be probably <laughs> one of the best things for you. But, you know, um, learning how to not step in where you used to and learning how to understand where, like whose responsibility is it with the decision? Because I think that takes a while to figure out too. And there's there's actually a great book out there you're going to love the title of this. It's called Joint Custody with a Jerk. And um, and <laughs> I know, it's really funny. You can, I think it's out of print, but you can find it, you know, on one of the online booksellers. But it's a, it's a great book because really what it's about is whose problem is it? And it helps you figure out how to not engage with someone that can be difficult to engage with. And the other thing that I think is kind of funny is, you know, we always laugh because it's always the other person who's the jerk. And we can also see any places where maybe we're feeding into that a little bit, um, or at least helping to support that. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No one. No, I, I, I was talking with my mom after I had sent her that really, really, really long scram, scrolling text. I was like, you know, there's no one is faultless. No one is blameless. No one, no one in any re- situation like this is blameless. Like there's, there's always, you, you always play a part in it. You're, you're never the angel. Um, no one is. And um, I, I completely recognize that. It, yeah. So oh, yeah. The, this, this book is great because it helps you really, really begin to see as things arise, like whose issue is it? And if it's not your issue, you don't really have any control over it. And if it is your issue, you can help figure out what maybe you do have control over. And if you don't have control over it, you know, again, practicing letting it go because, you know, however you get there um, is going to have to be part of it. I mean, if we could control another person's behavior, no one would be divorced, right? I mean, that's kind of the way <laughs> the way that works. Um <laughs> so but but I you know I I think one of the things that I get to offer because I've been talking to enough families for so long I've got my own personal experiences is this perspective that most likely it's going to be okay 
and it's going to take some time to get there. And, you know, that's not something we're told when we're going through this. And, you know, when you say, when you have someone telling you, most likely it's going to be okay, and then you learn the parts that you have control over to help make it okay, um, that's that's all right, you know. And, I, and, and again, I think it, it is different for everybody. I mean, I tend to look in patterns because I've talked to so many people, but everybody has absolutely their own situation. And if you only look at patterns without looking at anyone's story, you're going to be losing a lot. And if you only look at anyone's story without looking at the patterns, you're going to feel all alone. So that's kind of the benefit that I have is to, to look at patterns. And then, then the other piece, which is a whole nother discussion, is beginning to look at how those patterns link into or don't link into the supports that we have available in our society to support, you know, single parent families or sole families or co-parents. Like, what do we have available that or not that makes everyone's lives that much harder? Right. Exactly. Well, and I think there's an added layer, you know, to, to knowing what problems are yours to solve and which ones aren't and then being able to kind of take your hands off those that aren't and let them solve themselves. I mean, I, I get the logic behind it. But where I always struggle is, you know, I'll run into these situations and I know very well that it's it's not my problem. There's nothing I can do to change its direction because it's just not my place. But when I see that it affects Lexton's life, that's where I have a huge problem kind of letting go of it because he has really no say at all. Right. And I feel like if I don't if I let go and kind of let it be because it's not my problem, then there's really no one looking out for him. And that just makes me, I don't know, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that either. And and yet it's not something we can always fix. And so, you know, I think you have to get to a place where you figure out which fights you're going to fight or, you know, where you have to have a mechanism where you can have conversation with Lexton's other parent to say, hey, these are the concerns that are raised for me around this. So you can be his advocate to a degree and, you know, just say, I don't know if you've thought of this, but here's the things that are coming up for me and, you know, hopefully have some mechanism to do that. I mean, some people talk regularly, some people email, some people can't do it at all. Some people can do it through someone else. Um, There's again, a variety of ways to do that, but, you know, at that point, at some point, we still have to let it go, but we can still advocate, you know. And we can also be, we can also be very comforting for our children. You know, we can also be there to hold them and reassure them that, again, nothing is their fault and that we love them unconditionally and that, you know, Yeah, and boy, you know, I think that's really the biggest part of all is, you know, I mean, we go through all this emotional turmoil, and they go through all this emotional turmoil. But but we know what we know about grieving and processing any sort of loss is that eventually, if we feel the stuff that we're feeling, we'll get to some place where where we're okay. And it doesn't mean we're the same person we used to be. We're a new version of ourselves. But we're we got our our feet under us, right? We're solid. And our kids, what happens is they feel a lot of stuff like anger and sorrow, and we don't want our kids to be hurting. So we try to tell them, don't feel that, you're going to be okay. And the trick is to really be there with them while they're feeling it. Just what you're saying, Heather, it's like, if they're feeling that sorrow, let Mm -hmm. them know they have a place they can go with that. If they're feeling angry, 
let them know that you can hear their anger and help them with it. And really, you know, there's a lot of stuff in life we don't have control over, but if we can be there with them so they have that sense of safety and they know they're not alone, that's the gift of parenting, honestly. So this just goes back to, you know, even though we can't fix it, even though the people that we want to talk to, our friends that we want to do the daily download with can't fix it, you know, we can just be there. We can listen and understand as best we can. Exactly. And I've also, I mean, I've I've also tried to put into place just physical, um, physical modes of safety for my kids. Like I, Utah is their home. Utah is where my mom is. My mom is such, uh, she plays such a huge role with, with my kids and, um, their friends are here. Their stability is here. I took on extra projects so that I can stay in the house that I've, that we've lived in for the last three and a half years. And people ask me all the time, they're like, well, why don't you, you know, you love LA, go move to LA or you love San Francisco, move to San Francisco. And it's like, you know what? I don't, I don't really, I really want to give my kids that because when they come home into my house, I, I've said it before, they sort of like, they fall on the couch and they're like, oh, this is home. And I want to give them that even physical stability of like, okay, we're here. This is, this is solid. This is a, a ground that I can stand on. And so it's a personal decision that I've made where it's like, yeah, I could absolutely do what I'm doing from anywhere in the world, but my kids want to be in Utah and I want to give that to them. Right. So, you know, and part of that is recognizing who your children are. You know, do they do well with change or don't? Does their home base really give them a sense of security that that makes everything feel okay in the world? And when it does, and you can recognize that, that's, that's huge. I mean, sometimes we don't have the ability to to make those choices, but when we can and it matters, then that's a, that again, that's a huge, right. a huge thing to give our kids. Right. Like I have the privilege of, of being able to, to give that to them. I know many people have to move or many people because the circumstances have to, don't have the options that I do. But for me to, for me, it's important, like, to say, Heather, <laughs> I would move, I would move to LA in a second. But my children need to be in Utah. And I am privileged enough to give that to them. And, you know, there's, uh, there's that whole idea that I keep referring back to more and more of a like a, a good enough, good enough parent, good enough home, good enough life. Um, and, and I think it's a really important question that that we can lose track of, especially when we're parenting from multiple homes and maybe it's different in each place. But I think we put such ridiculously high expectations on parents and the idea of what's good enough, right? So do I have to kill myself in order for my kids to have everything? Well, is that really going to serve them? Is that really going to serve me? And and I think we are so afraid of damaging our kids when we go through a divorce or transition that we don't know where that line of good enough is anymore. And you know, maybe I'm just getting older and tireder, but I'm feeling like there's real benefit for my son to experience some things where he's got to figure it out. And, um, you know, obviously nothing that's going to be harmful, but, you know, when I get all out of perspective, I go back to Maslow's hierarchy, right? Like, okay, what do I really need to deal with here? And, and let me take care of those things. And although I'd like to be able to do all these other things, I can't 
but there are other people who can. And so I'm going to have to structure our life that way. And that to me is my, really my grounding place. Like I'm going to take care of all the basics because without that, there's nothing. And then up above and beyond that, as much as I can supply or other people can supply, that's great. I love that. Yeah. I think it comes down to, and I know I've, I've texted you this before, Heather, but it just, I always try to tell myself that, you know, you can only do what you can do. Like you can push yourself to a certain point, but you can only do what you can do in a given day or a given week or a given year. Like you can't do more than what you can do. And it sounds really simple or stupid, but it's kind of a nice reminder that, you know, I, I can try to be both parents and do everything and have a career, but realistically that's not possible. Right. No matter how hard I try, it can't ever be that way. So I can only do what I can. And sometimes it doesn't feel like enough, but that it, it doesn't matter in the long run because I can't do any more mentally or physically. And you mentioned you mentioned getting older, like as I think being put in this well, being in this and living in this situation and age has taught me and I'm sure you well, you John are you're you're such a baby. But um I'm that young. <laughs> are you thirty you're not that young, but you, 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 it really filters it down to this is what is important. And this over here, I can't accomplish that. It's not going to happen. And in the scheme of things, yes. that's okay. And having the wisdom to say that. Well, and having the wisdom to say that in the moment, I think is what's key. I'm really good at reflecting back and saying it's okay because I did what I could. But in the moment when you're trying to do 15 things, when you know, realistically, you can only do 10 it's really hard to get yourself to recognize that. It is because then you have to figure out what do you need to let go of or what do you need to shift or change? And and I think that's mm-hmm. a continual, you know, reprioritization that we have, that often we have to do as parents and even more so when our family structure changes, you know? Yes. It's like a constant reprioritization though. I feel like, you know, every, every hour you need to make a new list almost. And the kids are about to start middle school. Ah! <laughs> Help! Well, our school structure is different, so I'm a little ahead of you there. Yeah, my son's going to be a junior in high school this year. And um, I'll tell you, it's the, these high school teen years are really different. And, and again, in some ways, are very lonely as a parent because where you can talk about your kids when they're younger, you can't do that anymore when they're in high school. And so it's almost like this mm-hmm. underground, covert way of discussing things with other parents or you have to wait till things get bad enough, then you're like, hey, I really need to hear what other people are going through. And then you find out every other family's going through it too. And you're like, wow, I had no idea because cause no one can talk about it anymore, right? Well, it'll be too mortifying for our children. Right. Um, but my, my son just got back from a, a three weeks away. It was the first time that we've been apart from each other for that long. And um, and it was very disorienting and and, and really great. And I missed him. And he came back, you know, walking a little taller and a little bit more in his skin, which is what I'd hoped for. And then he, in both of our eyes, I think after he'd been home like two days, he would have been more than happy to go away again. And I would have been okay with me too. <laughs> but, <laughs> but again, it's the sort of thing where you, you learn a lot through the process. Cause what I learned is, um, n- no news is good news. And, and, so I tracked his flight, right, to make sure he made it okay across the country. And then when they hit Fort Lauderdale, they were down to, like, 
700 feet and now all of a sudden they're circling back up at 4,000 feet and then they're back down to 700 feet and now they're circling up at 11,000 feet and my heart was pounding and my palms were sweating and I learned never again. I am never doing that again. It was a thunderstorm, but you don't get that part of information. <laughs> and and it, it really made me realize that sometimes because we're so used to having immediate information we don't trust life as much as we used to have to. And so for me, it's a reminder. Sometimes you just got to trust and be scared for a while and learn it's going to be okay. Because even even watching the flights coming back home, <laughs> I did not watch landing at all. No way. <laughs> I like that. You got to trust life. We, gotta, we have to we relearn do. how we to do. trust life. Yeah. We did. We, we used had to trust to. life yeah, so much. Yeah, we had much. an alternative. Well, then we had a better understanding of what we could and could not control, I think, without that. I mean, you, for example, watching the landing and, you know, they're circling and elevation is changing and you're panicked. But there's even even if it was something that was not good, you there's nothing you can do. Absolutely nothing. Which was utterly horrifying, which is why I will never do it again. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but now that we have that, you see it, and somehow then it generates this this worry, even though there's there's nothing that you can do. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Trusting life. Yeah, that's that's mm. my new motto. Is like, how can I trust life through this and not need to have immediate knowledge at all times? Right. That's a biggie yeah. as a parent. It's a good metaphor. Yeah. Especially when you're cynical. I'm gonna use I'm gonna use the the idea of the, of that. I'm gonna use the idea of tracking that flight. And, I'm going to use that in, in life now for many things. <laughs> it was quite the education for me. Boy, I felt sorry for my coworkers that day. I'm walking out like panic looking like, you have no idea what just happened. <laughs> and it, my son has never even mentioned it, right? It's like I found out later by looking at the the automatic weather report, there was a thunderstorm there. Well, I've been in Fort Lauderdale. I know what that, you know, but it's like you don't know that on the particular tracking device. So it's like, okay, I got to trust life. I got to right. trust it. It's It's kind of encouraging talking to you Hillary because you've been you've been at this for longer than both of us for longer than both of us combined even and I feel like you've you're well beyond where we're at in a good way and it's encouraging well here's the other thing you know you can you can you can either live a good life or you can't and to me it would be an utter waste to go down a road where you're a victim all the time and not doing the things you want. And, you know, to me, one of the greatest things we can show our kids is that bad things in life can happen and life can still be good. Like, how do you hold both of those, you know, one in each hand? That's stuff that adults struggle with. And so so if I can show my child bad things can happen and life is still good, that's pretty realistic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the day-to-day. I mean... That's a motto every single day. Absolutely. Every day has something that's bad, maybe at different levels, obviously, but, huh. Well, and I guess, you know, as, as we're having this conversation and as I'm sitting here and thinking about this, you know, maybe even without knowing it, Heather, you and I started this podcast as sort of our way to do that parental download of information. Yes. You know, as a way of, and, and as a benefit, we both kind of understand where we're coming from. But even so, it's it's always helpful to to get it out there, hear myself say it, and and realize, wow, this isn't quite as solo as I thought. 
When, and in the, and then the email that we get and the comments on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot are, I think, people reaching out as well, wanting to, wanting that touch and that, uh, that touch tone. And, you know, we should start a gigantic group Vox conversation <laughs> of strangers. That would be great. That's, trying to, that trying would to be find. really, yeah. that would be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, we do get such a wide range of emails coming in and so many of them start with, my life situation has nothing in common with yours, but, and then it's like one thing that was said in one episode suddenly made a lot of things in this person's life kind of fall into place or click together or just make them realize that it's going to be okay. Not that, not that we're mm-hmm. fixing things or trying to fix things, but just the fact that we're, that the conversation is there, it's helpful. Well, and you know, that gets back to where I started, um, when I first started reading Deuce back in 2004, you know, I mean, it was like, wow, there's someone out here talking about family life and the day-to-day pieces of it. And so I, I, I still think there's such a hunger for it. And how to do it is another question. I know there's a hunger for helping people through the, you know, transitions around divorce or separation. And, you know, there's many, many people who've never been married, but co-parent with somebody else. And, they feel like they're so different, and really they aren't. There's a few differences, but not many. They're dealing with all the same things. And so I just know that need is there, you know. But but how to do it, that I'm not sure. I like this idea of a giant foxer. <laughs> anyone can leave a message for anyone else in the world to hear. That would be such a frightening idea. But That I is like a it. frightening idea. <laughs> well, it could be beautiful, though. Who knows? You have to trust life, right? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And have a filter of but some I, sort. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Filters on life are always important. <laughs> but I, I'm definitely interested to know how our listeners cope with sort of that day-to-day. You know, whether they're sole parents or co-parents and they have, a, you know, another parent who travels or whatever whatever the case may be. I mean, I'm always, like I said, I'm always amazed at, at the similarities that people find between life situations that, that I had never considered, but I read these emails and it's amazing how kind of everything connects. And I just love to hear what, what ideas people have, even if maybe someone out there has been struggling to come up with a good solution, but they've got a great idea, bring it on because I think we could all benefit from that. Yeah. And I'd love, I'd love to hear what, what the uh, listeners say too. So um, I'll stay tuned to that also. Yeah, and thank you so much for the insight that you've brought into this. We really, really appreciate you being a guest. You're welcome. I'd be happy to come back anytime. Yes, it was a a great, great discussion. And and I thank you as well, Hillary. And anyone out there who would like to, you know, send in their ideas or thoughts, as always, you are more than welcome to email us at stories at manicramblings.com. Or, as always, you can reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Manic Ramblings. And generally, Hillary, when we sign off, we usually say, until next time, and we we sort of sum up what we or give some sort of snippet of what we've talked about. Do you have any ideas for a sign-off? Me? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Until, until next time, learn to trust life. Yes. Ah, there Perfect. we go. Don't check the flight tracker. <laughs>
Many thanks to Tan Lines for the soundtrack, to Lisa Congdon for the cover art, and to Ryan Coomer for his expertise with the editing stuff. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.